0: And welcome to Brainsteep. I'm your host, Corey Schmidt. Here, we nerd out over tea and discuss a full range of topics while sipping our steep. We believe tea is a great medium for contemplation. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of your favorite leaf water, and enjoy. Drinking some ice cold rooibos, coming at you with a late night episode. Um, It's not actually that late, but typically I'm doing these on Saturday mornings, but I've got a big weekend ahead of me and wanting to get one of these in beforehand. So recording this on a Friday night, it is the 12th of February. Hmm. That's some good rooibos. It's the rooibos I talked about in the last episode. It's got notes of brown sugar. Um, I have never found rooibos to be very good hot. Of course, if you know me, which you probably don't, uh, but I'm here to tell you that I typically do not drink hot tea. I typically drink it cold. Um... I don't mind brewing tea uh, in a in a small batch style, you know, sort of Chinese style, um, because it cools off pretty quickly in small cups, and uh, I'm fine with that. Uh, I don't mind that, but uh, like a big cup, like a big mug of hot tea is that's just clearly insane <laughs> from from my perspective, from my point of view. <laughs> Not hey, look, you know, you do you, but. Let me do me. (laughs) Oh, but I did, I brewed cold rooibos like I normally do, which is delicious. And I was just sipping that. I also brewed, just like I poured the last bit off into a small cup um, and left it hot. So I'm going to try that and see what it is like at, it's cooled down a little bit by now, but let's see what this is like. Hmm. Wow! Yeah, very different, very different. Um, it is brighter. There's like a brighter note, but um, hmm, 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 hmm. How to compare these two? Let me let me get a little side by side, little live taste testing. Okay. yep, Yep. Okay, side by side, I have to say, I have to admit, the, the the warm version, it definitely has more of a profile. There are more layers to it. The cold version definitely kind of mutes a number of those things. Um, but it it brings out sort of just this. Ah man, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's almost like it it dials down some of the more offensive notes to me that I'm not super into, you know? Um gosh, that's really tough to say. I can respect the hotter version because there is more going on there. But it's just not appealing to me. Sorry. Ice cold Roybo's for the win. Um, yeah, as I said, a long weekend ahead of me. Um, as I'd mentioned in the previous episode, I'm building a new computer. So, with any luck, I don't want to jinx this, but with any luck, I will be recording the next episode on a newly built desktop computer versus this eight-year-old laptop and I hope to be very pleased with that setup and uh, yeah hopefully it will be conducive to uh, faster and more efficient workflow and all that jazz Um, it's gonna be a lot of work though gotta build the computer gotta load up my choice of operating system which is Ubuntu i um, probably going to have to end up dual booting with Windows. Um, I was really hoping to use what's known as a virtual machine, uh, virtualization, computer science, to run Windows as a VM, a virtual machine, in Ubuntu. Now, I can do that. There's there's no question about that. However, gaming on a Windows Virtual machine is another story. There's some hoops that you definitely have to jump through, and uh, I'll probably attempt it, but um, I'll be honest with myself and probably say I'll just dual boot with Windows and jump into uh, Windows to play some games. Um, but yeah, if you haven't tried Linux. Definitely try that operating system. It's easy enough to put on a flash drive and just check it out on your computer. I'm a, I'm a Linux fan. Not much of a Windows fan. I just don't. Uh, I don't know the user experience. They both have their issues. I won't. I won't say that Ubuntu is like the perfect uh, operating system. There isn't a perfect operating system out there, really. Uh, but there's so many flavors of Linux too. So so I would say Ubuntu. It's the most popular version, but Um, you know for desktop use but uh, there's a lot of different versions actually I'm excited to try a few different um, versions of Linux that look really cool Uh, so and it'll be easy enough to spin up a couple different virtual machines and check those operating systems out um, easily enough with a nice powerful new system so again pretty excited for that the big thing that I'm not I'm kind of looking forward to and I'm kind of not is moving my entire file system over because it's gotten out of hand. I think we all probably do this. You get a new computer. Maybe you're a person like myself that want that is really um, all about order and and trying to keep things uh, just nice and orderly. So you maybe start out with a nice, clean, file system you know you put your files in their little folders and name them right and you know just organize everything eight years later though uh it doesn't look good um you know when you're going to download a file from the internet at some point you know five years in you're not taking the time to go oh wait let me let me take a second here and make sure i get everything in in the proper place now you're just downloading it to whatever directory you decide to do for that time um so i'm kind of sketching out a new organization chart yeah this is how anal i am um an organization chart for the new system and boy though talk about um categorization this this is the topic categorization or taxonomy right so taxonomy Um, what a cluster of an idea. I mean, this is the, in my opinion, (laughs) this is the perfect example of (laughs) the problem with humans. (laughs) Because, let me get a sip of my tea here. Because here we are finding, here we find ourselves in this world, this successively... Uh, intricate and detailed world with all of its nuances, and we need to put boxes around everything, right? I mean, this is just how our brains work. This is how we, this is how we interact with our world, right? We we discern, uh, you know, the the trunk from the limb from the leaf uh, of a tree of a tea tree. Hmm. Um. And so that just permeates how we interact with the world and so of course taxonomy is that idea of how do we separate things into categories by their you know attributes and it is messy as hell there it's it's one of those things where you are always fighting to try and find the answer when there isn't an answer i mean even like let's look at tea Let's categorize tea, right? Hey, okay, you've got white tea, you've got green tea, you've got, oh, yellow tea. Didn't know about yellow tea until a number of years ago. Uh, you have oolong tea, you have black tea, you've got puer and all the different, you know, let's not go too, too down the rabbit hole. I mean, different puers, different black teas, different, every, every one of those teas has different varieties. Well, let me ask you how do you how do you define what an oolong is versus a black? Because I'll tell you, there's been some oolongs that I've bought that I could swear to you were a black tea, and vice versa. So especially on that spectrum, because oolong can go from just slightly oxidized, you know, beyond a green tea. Uh, all the way to where that line, where is that line between the oolong and the black tea? When does it cross that line and become a black tea? Well, the answer is there is not, no answer to that. It's, there, there are industry standards, there are, you know, um, regional variations on how to, how to make tea and what you call those teas and, and you know, wh- where you're trying to get them and the flavor profile, right, and then stuff like... For sure, you know, the people that are making the teas, if it goes off into a certain new area of flavor, um, then they're going, okay, it's a black tea now. But, again, there is no... It's not binary. There is, you know, there is no just equation that you run and go, oh, this is a new long. Oh, this is a black tea. Um, so, that, that goes... Just just the same for uh, anything, anything and everything. And so for me, that is really problematic because I, I am such the person that wants order, that wants things to have a definition and to have that, that um, outline around it. Um, at the same time, I understand. I understand and have to accept that's just not how the world works. So you have that dichotomy constantly fighting one another, and that's what happens with me when I go, oh, I'm going to build a new computer, and I would really love, not only love, but must rework my file system because it's a complete mess, a pile right now, and I refuse to build a new computer and just shove it on over (laughs) into the new computer. So... I'm right now going, Oh my God, how do I, you know, just the, the files, what do I name them? How do I, where do I put the, these type files? Oh, you don't want to hear any more about that. Um, let's move into, well, let's see. There's a few topics. Um, you know, I touched on the dichotomy of of wanting to categorize things. Understanding though, there's another part of you almost that that's like, oh no 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 no, that's not how things work. But the other part's like, nah, come on, come on, gotta do it. So this kind of brings me into a topic that came up. So I was listening to um, a part of one of Sam Harris's uh, most recent podcast episodes and he is speaking to a guest. I forget the guest's name, but they're talking about um, split-brain procedures, split-brain personalities. If you're not f- familiar with this, so back, I think, in the 50s, it's been, it's been a good while. It's, I'm going to say around the 50s. The idea of how to cure or alleviate i should say perhaps people's ailment of epilepsy of having these epileptic seizures so um some people have some really really bad um epileptic seizure issues where they i mean they just basically can't function they're constantly having seizures or they're having them often enough and strongly enough that it's it's a quality of life issue right um to the point where doctors and I don't know the full history of this but someone came up with the idea which as crazy as it sounds this was the idea let's do brain surgery and from what we know about how epileptic seizures um, occur let's cut what's known as the corpus callosum I think that's how you pronounce it corpus callosum uh, colossum, colossum, Uh which is the connective tissue between your left and right hemispheres, the left and right hemisphere of your brain. Um, so this is a huge bundle of axons that are that are tying the two halves of your brain together, and allowing them to communicate. Um, kind of interesting going deeper into into just what happens across that network but um i digress um they decide to do this procedure they they have the idea they perform it um and amazingly to me at least this is amazing to me and i'm sure to many people um the procedure is done and Essentially, the people that have had this procedure done wake up, and for all intents and purposes, they act just like they did before the surgery. They feel the same. Everyone notices them as being the same person. Uh, the epileptic seizures have stopped, or I think diminished greatly, Um and so this is a successful procedure. This is something that is still done to this day. Um, I don't know how, how, you know, often it occurs. I, I assume not. It's not a heavily used procedure, only for, for certain cases, I assume. But this was a huge kind of um, jumping point to to be able to research new people. <laughs> Might I say, because now you have people walking around with their two, the two halves of their brain no longer connected via the corpus callosum, which is again, major, like that is what's connecting those two halves for the most part. And so some experiments have been done and you should definitely go on YouTube and search, you know, split brain, um, phenomenon or split brain, uh, Procedure, something like that, and you'll come up with some good videos where some experiments can be done. Um, they're they're kind of well orchestrated experiments, really um, clever, clever experiments, to where the the scientist can give information to one half of the brain, the left or the right, without allowing the other half. To receive that information, um, again, maybe watching some YouTube videos can help you to understand this. But uh, if you're aware, you have um, it's the the control of your right side and left side are sort of flipped. It's not a it gets a lot more complicated than that. It's not a, like for example, your left eye and your right eye. You're you're not only sending data from your left eye only to your right hemisphere. It's actually by bicameral or bifurcated kind of so it's more that the I think right portion of your left eye is go- I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there I, I I'd have to research that but um, essentially you can you can do this you can send information to one side and not the other and what they find is um, really interesting so so most people's speech ability, um, the speech area of the brain is typically in the left the left side, the left hemisphere. Um, and so if they for example, if they give only information to the right hemisphere, and then they ask that person who has the split brain, Um, about that information, which again, as I said, the left side has not received this information, only the right side, but the left side is speaking because it's the capable part to be able to speak, will answer as if it has received the information. Um, Some of the, again, uh, you know, I... (laughs) I'm not doing a very good job clearly because I could have re- researched this and given you given you a proper podcast where I'm going through all of this. <laughs> but, you know, I'm kind of lazy like that. Um definitely look into this if you if you're not already aware because some of the implications and some of the inf- some of the data coming out of these experiments is it is kind of creepy. It's kind of Crazy, creepy. Um, in the right light, in the in another light, it sort of like makes sense. Um, and I say that because let's see. I'm not sure if I if I held held this belief, but prior to or only because of um, a psilocybin trip I had, uh, and and I've tripped on psilocybin a number of times, but occasionally when you take a large dose of psilocybin, um, there is a dissociation uh, with many things, uh, including yourself. And there was this one very specific point uh, in one trip where The sensation was of multitudes. So the the singular ego, right? The singular self no longer felt as a singular entity. And I felt as if I was a collection, right? I was a collection of systems. Which from neuroscience, from the study of the brain and studies like the uh, split brain procedures starts to provide evidence toward a a worldview in which you in fact are a multitude of systems. And the illusion of self, of singular, you know, one person, you, is incorrect it 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 does not map to reality as well as the multiples you does and i understand this seems i i'm i'm certain for some people this will sort of resonate and for some people this will seem absolutely absurd but i do believe you know from obviously some some um, subjective experiences, but also a lot of objective scientific research into the inner structures of the brain, the psychology of the brain, all the above. I think we are slowly getting to a point where we can, we can very, very confidently state that a person truly is not a singular individual, right? You're an organism. I mean, first off, right? You are an organism built out of many small organisms, right? Uh, all culminating into the singular organism that is the human, the you. However, your consciousness, your your the the machine that creates your consciousness, the brain, is the furthest thing from a singular entity, right? So it really starts to, to click and make sense when you start to consider how can you consider yourself as a one, as an individual, uh, when there is no singular thing creating you. It's only multitudes of multitudes, multiples of multiples, right? Um, that is, that's really an enticing idea uh, for me. I think, I, I, you know, I don't know the utility of it in society. Uh, I question how useful it would be for us all to shift into a collective thought of we are many (laughs) that we you know in using pronouns for example so i know i know we're in a bit of a hot storm of of personal pronouns in in the the late 20 teens and coming into the 2020s here uh but you know, it's funny. My intro to this podcast—I uh, initially recorded it because I thought there'd be multiple people on the on the podcast, but it's really just turned into a podcast where I'm just shouting out to the void. Um, and somehow, it it still stands. The, 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 you know, in the in the intro, I'm speaking in in plural in plural pronouns, and again there is a stronger argument for us to use plural pronouns when speaking of ourselves. Because just, just you know, and, and, and really, honestly, as radical of an idea as this sounds, it really, it re- when you think to examples within your own life, it's not that radical. It's actually it actually makes complete sense and the singular you really starts to sound more insane. Because just think of all the different things that you try to get done in a day, the things you're you're trying to think about and wanting to do. You're constantly having arguments within your own mind. You're constantly fighting with yourself. Do I eat that ice cream? Do I wait? Do I buy that, that, you know, well, shit me, I'm buying this computer. Do I, uh, do I, do I wait? Do I not buy, I don't really need a computer. Oh, but I really want a computer. You know, it, it makes less sense for an, like an individual with a singular mind would not constantly be weighing alternatives and, Trying to to uh, trying to talk themselves out of or into different circumstances and situations. It's really a n- number of subsystems within your brain that are fighting for one another, fighting for the attention, fighting for the central focus of your consciousness. Right, and when I say your, I mean really. The, there's no director. There's no there's no central focal point. It's more a lightning storm where the consciousness resides in the brightest point at any given time. Right? Where there where there's more lightning over there. Oh, there's the consciousness over there. Alright, and then oh, some more shit happens and oh oh over there, over there. Real bright spot. That's where the consciousness lies. Um I, again I don't know how useful it would be but I really like I really like that because it just feels more right to me and I, I'm fully admitting this is a purely subjective point but again I use objective scientific research to back back up the idea of what you are and uh, whether there's a singular you or there isn't I don't think there is there's only a collective of use and you are what what you consider to be the singular you is just it just happens to be whatever the version whatever the number of, you know, let's say there's 2000 of you it just happens to be the most boisterous of the 2000 that percolates to the top and oh that's me and then 5 minutes later oh that's me so Again, if you're not aware of some of this, highly recommend you research some, another another um, a book that I could recommend that I think helps you to to conceptualize this is Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Can't remember if I've mentioned this book before, but what a phenomenal book! I I I really hate that I've yet to read it for a second or third time. I read it, gosh, it's going on a decade now, um, ago. And I really need to read through that book again. Phenomenal book. Fantastic book. Thinking fast and slow. Great book. Um, yeah. Yeah. You are many. You are multiples, um... Really, really think that ties in with what we are slowly um, understanding about the mind. Um, to jump from that, so I just received a new book today. I like to read on my Kindle, but there are certain books that I really just like to hold. I like, I like the old school reading method of books. Um. Do you read books? Do you read enough books? I don't feel like people read enough books. Shit. I go, I go into periods of time where I'm not reading books, and I really hate that. I really um, enjoy when I've got one or two books going. I usually tr- I, my my hope is always to have a fiction and nonfiction book going at any given time, and I have to admit, it's often not the case that that is what's happening. Um, I do not have any books currently going, but I just received the extended phenotype. Uh, and I really am happy and, uh, excited to jump into that book. This is a book, which is a sequel to the selfish gene by Richard Dawkins. And if you ask me, the selfish gene is absolutely required reading for every human being. Um, It has a very unfortunate title. Um, It's a, it's one of those books that, because of the subject it goes over, and the type of, well, at least in the US, the type of uh, culture we have, it, uh, (laughs) you read that book by the title, you know, by the cover, Um, and yeah, it could have totally been given a better name because it's so deceiving that the title, you jump to these conclusions, you know, you you have your definition of what selfish means and, and people, it just sort of got out of hand with, with, um, the title of that book. I mean, I remember before I read it, um, I'm like, what is, is Richard Dawkins trying to say? You know the the base of all humanity is just selfish we're, we're just a bunch of selfish individuals read that book if you've not read that book read that book because um what you find out is yes selfishness selfishness plays a role in evolution uh but it's it's um so much deeper and it's a book that I thought I I thought I had a grasp of evolution prior to reading that book. Um, and, you know, it's been years now that I've read it. And so, of course, some of that knowledge has really faded on me. And I need, probably need to re- reread that book as well. Um, but boy, oh boy, when I read that book and finished it, I truly felt like, oh, holy shit, I had no idea what evolution was. And now I do understand. Um, because he just, he explains it in such a good way. Um, it certainly isn't the most riveting read. It's not fiction, you know. It's it's nonfiction. It's all about evolution. Um, but he writes very well. And it is a very accessible book for anyone truly that is interested in what, life is and how we got here um it really saddens me that we we live in a world where people still don't believe that evolution is how life works (laughs) um and we owe yeah it's just uh, yeah that that's that really saddens me sometimes but um it's an amazing book it's an amazing piece of work kudos to richard dawkins and i'm very excited for the extended phenotype because um i i don't recall reading exactly what he goes over in this you know kind of quote unquote sequel um but he goes i think he he's going to get into uh very detailed on what a meme is. I, I'm, this is my speculation. I don't know. But because he he's the one that coined the word meme in the book, The Selfish Gene. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. You know, we all talk about internet memes. Um, and he's the one that coined that word back in... I I forget, The Selfish Gene was written in the 70s or 80s. Um, and, yeah. so and, and, of course, he wasn't talking about... <laughs> He wasn't talking about lolcats, but um, you know, a meme being a way of propagating information, propagating a, a piece of culture, um, uh, and so that is a very powerful idea. And it and it, and and I'm probably not characterizing it properly. Read the book. Um, he'll he'll tell you what a meme is. Um, but it really works well with how the information, um, how, how our current sort of, um, information revolution, I'll say, uh, is going, uh, helps, helps you to put it into context, helps you to understand it. Um, and I bet I'll start to, to get a better, um, I don't know, better, a better perspective on how the world currently is running, um, based on the theory of the extended phenotype. So, really excited to read that book, um, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'll probably uh, make some make some points in later episodes as I get through it. Hopefully, you know, as I said, this weekend I'm sort of fo- I've been so focused on b- getting this computer um, built. And programming that I probably won't start reading that book until next week, sometime. Hopefully, um, but again, it is it is something that I'm very, very much looking forward to. Um, I actually have one other book coming in. Um, it was on back order. Uh, called the oh shit. <laughs> What's the title? (laughs) Where is it? Um, Ah, the title of this book is Extraterrestrial, the first sign of intelligent life beyond earth by Avi Loeb. So this is a book that just came out. Um, Avi Loeb is a physicist uh, at Harvard. He studies astrophysics and cosmology. And he came out with this book. Um, I think it, 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 it's a very broad-spoken book, I believe, but it centers, or at least a portion of the book, centers on the phenomenon known as Oumuamua. If you're not familiar with Oumuamua, for shame, for shame, Definitely read up on, on on Oumuamua. This is a an interstellar object that traversed our solar system back in 2017, I believe. Um, yeah, it's 2017. Um, it was such an odd uh, object didn't present itself as a comet as a meteor um, just the trajectory it we the only thing we, we were able to conclude was that it didn't come from our solar system this was an interstellar object the first to be uh, observed not stating that it was the first to enter our solar system right? just the first to be observed because it wasn't a big object it was a small object. I mean you know in terms of cosmic sizes it was it was small I don't I, I think it was like the size of a stadium or something like that um, but you know not the size of the moon or quarter the size of the moon and no, nothing very large um, but again, the characteristics of this this object just perplexed the scientists that were studying it. And so obviously speculation came in. They were trying to really nail down what this object was. Um, it, was it was a big story. I mean, again, if you haven't heard of it, um, or you just maybe you're just not recalling it, because it was a big story when it came out and, and when scientists were tracking it for the length of time that they were gathering the the little bit of data that they had because it you know it was it was going pretty quick and they've kind of found it late in the game um, really cool uh, just a quick aside um, there's a there's a solar system slash uh, kind of cosmos um, simulator called universe sandbox 2 uh, that you can get on the steam store highly suggest you check this out. There, someone created a simulation of Oumuamua um, and its trajectory through the solar system. Really cool watching that. It was a, It's. It comes in. It kind of, you know, makes its pass around the sun, and gets damn close, man. Well, <laughs> not really close, but you know, in terms of stellar distances, close. Uh, to 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 Earth, like it it. I think it passes. I'll have to go back and look at the simulation, but I think it passes between uh, maybe between Venus and Earth. Yeah, because it was pretty far into the solar system. It was, dude, this was an amazing, crazy object. We don't know what it was. It very well could have been a comet or um, rock debris from some other solar system's outer reaches or inner reaches or just it could have been of course a natural object you know uh, just something from another solar system that was ejected during you know two body collisions or something like that however avi is (laughs) he he, he's in the news right now because he is a well known astrophysicist um and he is he is saying look guys the amount of information we obtained about Oumuamua, and the peculiarities and just the oddness of all the things and we couldn't explain so many you know data points and again he he, i think in this book he gets into some of the details um or i hope he does at least And his, his conclusion is essentially that Oumuamua was a piece of tech from another civilization. I, you know, if, if you ask me point blank what I think he's doing, and again, I, I have yet to read the book. So I really do need to read the book and I need to understand the language that he is using I would like to read, you know, specific sentences and see if he is making it, you know, because we have little data on this object, so it's, and we don't have like a photograph or anything. (laughs) My phone. We don't have anything. I need to always silence that when I'm running these. Um, We don't really have enough evidence to conclude specifically what this item was, what this object was. So, I think it's going to be tough for him in this book to make a a, a claim that this was one hundred. you know, and I don't think he I think in some of the interviews I've listened to recently, he he is not stating that he believes one hundred percent this absolutely was, you know, some some piece of tech from from an alien civilization. But he is saying, looking at the data, looking at the information we do have, I think he's basically saying it's more likely that it is that rather than a natural phenomenon. And I do think he believes that, and I'm really excited to read the book to understand his argument and to conclude for myself whether I think I need to join his camp. Um, but I think his argument his I think his book is doing more than just that. He, I think he understands that that we need some, some people to push back against the, 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 the general consensus, right? Like I said, Omumu was a big phenomenon. There sci- a lot of scientists were talking about it for a long time. It kind of died off, died down. Scientists sort of just went, well... You know, we'll we'll get more data next time when something like this happens, right? And they just sort of decided, you know, what it was a natural, you know, rock coming in from another another solar system. Um, But I think I think Avi knows what he's doing, and I think he understands that sometimes you got to shake, shake the, what's the phrase? Got to shake the cage. And I'm with him. I am with this guy. Um, you know, it's funny though, because if it wasn't a Harvard astrophysicist writing this book and it was someone out on the fringe, maybe with a physics degree, maybe without a physics degree, it, it. I both completely understand and, and I am just as as um, guilty of this um, in terms of believing and, and recognizing and wanting to listen to people of authority right so Avi Loeb is a figure in astrophysics he is an authority so when he writes a book and says omumu was a was from another civilization, People listen. People want to hear this. They they're going to pay attention. They're going to critique. you know, there's going to be a lot of hubbub, as they say. Hubbub. There's going to be a bunch of hubbub around this. Um, if someone outside of sort of the the circle of influencers were to write this book, same exact book, word by word, word for word, uh, but didn't have that stature nothing would be said and that that really man like i i just think how many books how many papers how many pieces of information get placed out into the world and are essentially not there because no one ever listens reads pays attentions to because those people are irrelevant. They're not, they're, they're not of, uh, the circle of influencers. Um, really it's, it's sad, but it, again, I feel like going back to this whole way in which the human brain works, it's, it's a, it's a mechanism that we inherently have in terms of how do we, how do we make sense of the world? how do we um move forward in time and have an effect ourselves and make sense of the world we can't just listen to every single person that makes a sound we have to cordon off partition uh and you know um describe <laughs> i don't know where i'm going <laughs> but uh yeah. Anyway, excited for that book. I think it'll be coming late this late late this month. So I'll be reading that as well. So I'll have two nonfiction books. Shit, I need to get some some, some new fiction. I like science fiction. If you have a suggestion, throw me an email at. Okay. Hello. Feedback. Oh gosh. Stop. Alexa <laughs> throw me an email at hello at brainsteep.com have a good weekend enjoy some tea um, I'm finishing up this rooibos I think uh, for tomorrow I'm going to actually throw some uh, green tea in the fridge overnight let it cold brew have myself some nice cold brewed tea tomorrow morning Uh yeah Anyway, until next time, have a good one.